from New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And on this episode of SVU, Matt and I will talk slaughterhouses and shared dreams as we review On Body and Soul, Hungary's Oscar submission, and the Dark Horse contender for Best Foreign Language Film, currently streaming on Netflix. Dark Horse or Dark Cow? But ah, so bad. Ah, I just... The fact that you haven't slept much, I'll forgive you. Thank I you. I appreciate guess, that. Maybe. Yeah. Instead of our usual practice of picking a theme for the episode inspired by our movie uh, in, and then giving you some streaming recommendations that fit that theme, we're going to do something a little different in honor of Netflix's big move during the Super Bowl. Maybe the biggest move in the company's history today is a huge it was a big deal. swing. Yeah. yeah, this was a big deal. So we, attention must be paid. We're going to also take a look at the Cloverfield Paradox, the movie Netflix bought off of Paramount and then dropped with almost no advanced marketing on streaming right after the big game. So stick around for that later in the episode. But first, let's talk on body and soul. <laughs> Aztán mondtam, hogy szarvas vagyok. Olyasmi történtek, amiket szarvasan normálisan szoktak gondolni. Mégis mi? Kikaparta a hó alól egy vastag, szőrös, sósos levelet. How things work here at Filmspotting Streaming Video Unit is like this. At the end of every episode, we give you a choice of three different films or sometimes TV shows that are available to stream. And then we let you vote on which one we'll review in the next episode. Last time we gave you two Oscar nominees, current Oscar nominees, uh, how times have changed, really, uh, and one recent Sundance premiere, very recent Sundance premiere, uh, David Wayne's A Futile and Stupid Gesture, the Hungarian drama On Body and Soul, and Yancy Ford's personal documentary Strong Island, all of these on Netflix. And while it was a very close race, a very close race uh, between A Futile and Stupid Gesture and On Body and Soul, the film's trading first place over the week, to my honestly pleasant surprise, mm. On Body and Soul came out on top. I'll, I'll mention right here before you continue, if you want to hear a discussion about A Futile and Stupid Gesture, our sister podcast, The Next Picture Show, did it as one of their movies right. last week. So, And it was a really good discussion. I've listened to that. So... You can head over there if you if you voted for that movie and were disappointed. I recommend you check that one out. Okay. And meanwhile, On Body and Soul is the first feature in 18 years from uh, Ildiko Enyede. Nicely done. Enyede, I think, actually. Should have just gone with it. Yeah, I wouldn't I know. never know. You never know. Uh, a Hungarian filmmaker whose work in the past has played at Cannes and Venice. She's mostly been working in television and documentaries in the time since her last film. On Body and Soul premiered at Berlin last year. It won the Golden Bear, which is the festival's top prize, before becoming Hungary's Oscars mission, being acquired by Netflix this past fall, and going on to become an Oscar nominee. Uh, the foreign language film nominees often have one or two entries that are, at least from the perspective of what critics are able to see, question marks. And On Body and Soul was certainly the question mark for me. Other films like A Fantastic Woman and The Square made big splashes, uh, and Loveless and The Insults, while maybe slightly smaller, definitely also have been in circulation. On Body and Soul was not on my radar at all until this Oscar nomination, so I was really happy to just get a, an excuse to see it uh, and a chance to see it, um, even if early on it presents you with footage you'd probably rather not see. Uh, that would be footage of a working slaughterhouse where cows are butchered. And where both of the main characters work. Maria, who's played by Alexandra Borbe, is the new quality inspector at the slaughterhouse. And Endre, played by uh, Geza Morchsani, is the CFO. He is in charge, or at least close to in charge. And both of them are kind of solitary types. Maria appears to have, though it's never stated explicitly, maybe Asperger's syndrome. Uh, Endre, who's older, just seems kind of uh, uncomfortable and generally repressed, uh, not at ease in his own body, in part maybe because he's self-conscious about not having mobility in one of his arms. But there is a connection between the two that they're made aware of, uh, maybe a third of the way into the movie. And it, it involves these shots of two deer in the snowy wood that we've been shown from time to time, and that turn out to be the dreams that Maria and Andre are sharing Dreams in which intimacy seems a lot more effortless than in the incredibly awkward day-to-day -day interactions they attempt. 
Now, Matt, while I am eager to hear you talk about how horrifying you found the slaughterhouse footage, I wanted to start out with a love story, since uh, that's the heart of the movie. What did you think of this kind of romance between outcasts? Were you invested in these characters? Uh, and did the contrast between uh, grim, sometimes physical world and enchanting dream one do anything for you? That contrast I found interesting. The relationship I had no investment in, I hated. I hated this movie. <laughs> I really strongly disliked it. Wow. Um, I disliked the the slaughterhouse footage that you mentioned. I mean, it's. I if you enjoyed that, I'd be very concerned. If you were like, oh yeah, give me more of that. In fact, that's kind of one of the subplots of the movie. I guess that they're like psychologically testing the people who are working there to, to make, make sure, sure they're, they're okay. not. Yeah. Um, but honestly, um, I almost found the the relationship even more like horrifying and disgusting um more i mean it was mostly the the depiction of this woman uh this character i, I didn't understand her as like a, it's just a bizarre construction like i couldn't understand how this woman functioned like she has a job she's a, a meat quality inspector but she see, like she almost seems like an alien or you know like you mentioned like she has some sort of unspoken unspecified mental issue uh but it's almost i mean in in watching it it's like watching like she's like rain man meets like a manic pixie dream girl almost to Mm. me and i was just everything about that character just struck me as wrong and weird the ending of this movie i found deeply uncomfortable um and just and just bizarre and like inexplicable. The 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 male character, uh, I thought he get, you know the actor gave a, an interesting performance, and I didn't have anything wrong with him. And I think the premise of the movie is fascinating. This idea that two people could meet and somehow discover they're sharing this dream space together, and how that impacts their real lives. Like I would love to see another version of like let's take a mulligan on the movie, let's redo the premise with a different script. Maybe a different filmmaker. I'm not. You mentioned that this is a filmmaker who's made movies before. I'm not familiar with their work at all, but I don't know. Like, I want to see a totally different. The, the premise is there. I maybe don't need all the slaughterhouse footage. We could keep it in. A, you can keep everything basically, including the slaughterhouse, because that is important in terms of the animal aspect of the movie. I get it. Um, but yeah, I was incredibly turned off by the characters but specifically really the the female character that's really interesting to me because i feel like it's very it's made pretty like clear she's supposed to be on the spectrum in some way she sees a therapist that she's been seeing all of her life a child therapist right which means that like she's right she's been going to him as someone she's been comfortable with since she's been a child i guess but like how i i did not understand how this woman who has never apparently not only never listened to music has no conception of music like how does she get to this point in her life where she could be functional enough to go to university get this job hold a job but but have some of these things where it does where like like things like uh forget about sex but just like something as simple as music like she's like doesn't understand the concept of it well, she's never, never she's, heard of it before. I thought that she's never heard of it. She's just I, never enjoyed it. That right? was the vibe I kind of got was like she had to be told to go listen to music. Right. Like, because she's never derived enjoyment from it before. It's I never know. been on it, her radar. It just see, that seemed very, very See, for me, like me. that character, this character almost verges on a bit of a cliche. Like she is a type of character who is in, she is basically like a slightly uh, tweaked version of the character who was in the show The Bridge that was like remade multiple times as like the tunnel, right? The Scandinavian crime series, okay, which became an FX it. crime series with Diane Kruger, which has been imported to various countries' borders uh, around the world. But I mean, that character also has a like non-diagnosed but seemingly uh, on the spectrum uh, woman who's blonde who is acts the same way, like kind of misses a lot of social cues, but is also very good at her job. And also, you know, kind of like doesn't follow typical, maybe uh, social standards regarding um, what's, what's appropriate to say in a conversation or what's not like, I just like, I had actually seen this kind of character before multiple times. Uh, And I, I suppose it was, it was interesting to me to see her in a romance, you know, but uh, I do feel like it's, it's, 
I don't know. It's a kind of cartoonish version of uh, this idea. I think of someone who is on the spectrum. I, you know, I, I God knows it, that's a whole spectrum of experiences as well. And I don't want to say that someone does not find this totally accurate, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, well, I, I do not dislike this movie nearly as much as you. I think it, there are parts of it that really work and parts of it that don't. For me, like the parts that I don't like are the parts where it just verges on like a slightly ver- rarefied version of like a quirky indie romance between two, you know, I hated that stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I I just, I don't know that I find her character that much of a turnoff because it's supposed to be someone who is like really struggling for human connection, but is like very unable to read uh, social cues and kind of like emotions on people's faces. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just, uh, I didn't, get the the relationship at all other than the fact that like again like they have these shared dreams like and and if you played that as like a horror film or some sort of cautionary tale or something where it's like maybe these people aren't that compatible just because they have these dreams and it turns into like a slasher movie where he's trying to kill her or something maybe i'd be more into it but the fact that the movie presents no there's like they have nothing else in common but it treats this like you said like a quirky sort of lovey-dovey romantic comedy and i'm like i'm not sure that this that's where this story should go it almost seemed i don't know she seemed so childlike to me i it made me uncomfortable at times i just that seems condescending to me <laughs> i'm sorry i'm telling I mean, you how I, I felt some, yeah i know but like uh I, I feel like someone can be high fu- functioning and not you know present as like uh i don't know like someone who's normal you know quote unquote normal but like is still totally a grown-up with her own life i mean i don't i i, I think that the parts of this that work the best for me are the parts where it is about two people who, for different reasons on either side, have so much trouble expressing their desire to connect, you know? And that I think, like, the parts in which they have these, like, like horrifyingly awkward interactions where they constantly misread each other. Um, there's one part where he asks for her phone number and she's like, I don't have a phone. And he takes it as, like, her rejecting him brutally. And she just really did not have a phone. <laughs> like, she never bought a phone. Um, I think that things like that, there was some kind of charm to them. I suppose that I just, like, it's a two-hour movie, and it, it's a kind of languidly developing one between the two of them, in which they are always kind of, like, at odds and ends. And there's a slow development of a subplot involving stolen Hormones. mating powder yes mating powder i i almost would like to see that movie more too yeah. i i never heard of such a thing i don't know if it's real or not but i would if it is real yeah and the idea that someone stole it like what are they gonna do with it i i want to see the mating powder heist movie the, mm-hmm. you know I, i'd like to see that yeah my favorite parts of the movie were the was the the dream sequences mm-hmm. the animal footage um i was very impressed with i mean not just how just sort of beautiful and the contrast between those scenes and the awkwardness, if not outright ugliness, of the scenes in the slaughterhouse. But, like, the animals, they almost seemed – they were, like, so – they were so expressive. They were, like, so emotive. Like, yeah, they, they gave great performances. Great I don't performances. know how and, – and including some of the cows because we do see some of the cows in the slaughterhouse or, I guess, you know, being led to the slaughterhouse or whatever – and the way that they, the looks that they give and the glances and the movements, like you would swear that because they're so perfectly um, expressive to the scenes, you would swear that they were like uh, CGI or something because they're just so – it's not like they set up a camera and just filmed a, a, a deer and just whatever they got, they figured out, well, we'll just use it. You know what I mean? Like the, it seems like the deers are directed. I don't know how they pulled it off. Yeah. But they did an incredible job in those sequences – you know, like, I, I, you know, if you want to say something in favor of the relationship, you can understand how someone would fall so much under the spell of these dreams that when you discovered someone else was sharing them and that person was the other deer in the dream, that you would absolutely want to explore the relationship with that person. I totally get it. I just at a certain point, I was like, you were checked out. I was checked out of the actual human relationship. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny. I mean, and I think it's a deliberate contrast, but like you have these deer that are incredibly expressive and these two people who are not expressive at all. Oh, absolutely. It's (laughs) it's deliberate. I totally get it. I just, I, I still, they drove me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, this movie had me for a while and then lost me for a while. And then actually the end I thought worked because I think it reminds you that you're not, 
even that even though you see more of a particular character than anyone else in the film does mm-hmm. that you, even like you in the audience do not quite understand the depths of that person's feelings mm-hmm. um because like i it came as a shock to me what happened um but yeah i i think that like it it also feels it also felt like the slaughterhouse footage like some ways this movie made gestures towards like uh images that are intended to shock or at least provoke uh in a story that's pretty cute otherwise yeah you know that it's almost like straining against uh trying to to make dress itself up with a bit of more provocative uh dressing right i I, you know i thought when it was happening okay well this movie is going to be this huge you know anti-meat vegetarianism some there was going to be some sort of very strong thematic part because i mean this is really graphic slaughterhouse footage it's yeah. not just like oh you hear the sound of a saw or an oblique cut from a, 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 a cow walking in and then you see like the carcass no there are some very very you see a cow's head getting cut off yeah and uh, and you see and then, the, like, like cut in half stump or of the cow's head yeah like, it definitely it, it it has a reason to include that. Sure. It wants, it's like a big gesture. Yes. Uh, but I, it is one that felt a little stagey to me. Totally to, yeah. stagey. And, to, and, and, and I would say, based, like, just what you were saying, I felt, it felt unearned to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you were going to turn this into something where those deer somehow are alive or imperiled, or I'm not saying <laughs> I, that would be a good thing, but at least then you could, un, like, there would be a connection. And there still sure. is a connection. Right. But it's tenuous. Right. I, think. I mean, it is a bit. I think as you know the the on body and on soul body and right soul. And, absolutely and the fleshly world yes is cows getting slaughtered in this gruesome way right and the, the world of the souls is deer in this beautiful pristine wilderness right. i mean the other uh, thing running. yeah the other thing is i mean i don't want more slaughterhouse footage but there really is one sequence and then that's about it and there really isn't that much more other than the mating powder about the inner workings even of this factory or the slaughterhouse it's more about the community of the workers and this like dynamic of them when they're in the cafeteria right than it is about the functioning slaughterhouse right so you know again it really is this sort of like shocking scene that's almost dropped after that and yeah it just it felt me as a little unearned i will say i want do you think anyone at netflix watched this movie i have that question about and we can talk about that in the next section absolutely but I don't know. I, I think that, in a way, the fact that it was a likely Oscar nominee was mm-hmm. just the bet they made. Right. And that it probably didn't cost them that much money, certainly sure. compared to the amounts of money they've been spending recently. Sure. So would they need to? I mean, but here's the thing. To me, it's like, I cannot conceive. Like, let's imagine the audience of Netflix. And sure, there are some cineasts and film lovers who are, oh, wow, the Hungarian nominee for Best Foreign Language Film is on Netflix. I'm going to watch that. Um, For the average viewer who would go – we're more likely to go, wow, Netflix has the new Cloverfield movie. If they – I can't – I'm just imagining that person turning this movie on (laughs) and eight minutes into it, there is the most graphic slaughterhouse footage right it's like a it, documentary it about makes, it a makes slaughterhouse. Okja look very mild right well that was the other thing i was like is someone at netflix really into slaughterhouses <laughs> this like, is weird like very militantly vegan and yeah being like, mm. i thought about that i really did but like i'm just imagining like the average netflix you know like if my grandmother was still around and had netflix and was just oh it's a, she would have been horrified like i can't i, I want to know i want to know a lot of netflix stats but i really want to know the average view time of this movie of the average person putting on, how long did they last? Did they make it to the end or did they turn it off after eight minutes? I'm guessing the average view time of this movie for most people is going to be like six minutes. Sure, but I guess I also feel like if you're buying a kind of thoughtfully paced, uh, maybe not aside from the slaughterhouse footage, not like that difficult, in, uh, uh, you know. Other than compared that, to, compared to even like uh, something like Loveless, you know, or one yeah. of the other, foreign, it's, it's not that. It's a fairly accessible story. Yes, uh, but that I don't like. How many people on Netflix? I I don't know. Like I, I assume these are all long tail bets. You yeah. know, where you're like they're betting. They were betting that it would be 
uh, a nominee. Right. And, and now they're betting win. it'll win. Yeah. And it'll slowly accrue people who give it a try. And maybe they won't make it past. Like, how's it getting cut off? But I hope it wins so that more people <laughs> unexpectedly dive into this and this, then are like, what? Quirky romance that also features uh, cow cattle slaughter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, a very mixed uh, opinion from both of us. A yes. very negative opinion from Matt. And uh, yes. I don't know, an ambivalent one from me. Uh, that is on Body and Soul. And you can find it on Netflix. One of the best five foreign language films of the year. So we are bypassing our usual themed recommendation section uh, this episode in favor of a second longer review because the past week was a major one for Netflix. Uh, the weather in a good or bad way is something we can debate. And also who can know because Netflix is a completely opaque uh, thing and we have no idea what counts as success even. Um, but anyway, that's because during the Super Bowl, Netflix announced that it was going to premiere the Cloverfield Paradox on streaming that night right after the game. They had an ad right in the middle of the Super Bowl. The Cloverfield Paradox uh, is directed by Julius Ona, the third film in what's uh, debatably either a sci-fi franchise or maybe anthology series being produced by J.J. Abrams. Uh, that one that started with the found footage monster movie Cloverfield, which is available for rent right now, uh, a decade ago, and then was followed up with 10 Cloverfield Lane, which you can find on Hulu and Amazon in 2016. Uh, the Cloverfield Paradox takes place on board an international space station where a crew is making a last-ditch effort to save the world from an energy crisis with a dangerous particle accelerator experiment that could only be done in space. Uh, and the film was, like the last two, originally slated for a th theatrical release from Paramount. But then there are all these rumors of a troubled production. Uh, the uh, budget uh, ballooned to over 40 million from what was originally planned to be like 5 million. Uh, there was, it was like based on a standalone script that is rejiggered into a Cloverfield installment with questionable success. Uh, and eventually Paramount decided that they just could not make money off of the film in theaters. It was not worth them paying to market the movie in theaters. Uh, it was not going to make back the money. And then Netflix came along and bought the film off of them for a reported $50 million, mm -hmm. uh, letting Paramount walk away with dignity and a little profit, <laughs> while Netflix got to play out its big stunt with a name-brand movie. Yeah. Uh, certainly the film looks promising from the outside. Mm -hmm. It's got a terrific ensemble cast, like a really great one. Yep. Uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, yep. David Oyelowo, Daniel Brühl, Elizabeth Debicki, Axel Henney, Chris O'Dowd, John Ortiz, Jiang Ziyi. Uh, and it follows two very strong films. Uh, I think we both liked the Cloverfield films, Matt. Yeah, uh, I like the second one a lot. I thought the first one is, you know, it's incredibly, like, sort of bold. Yeah. It has some problems. The first one for me gets better every year. And oh, I actually, really? I think it's better than the second one. Oh, I yeah. haven't rewatched it. Um, but uh, this new film, you know, it looks like a cross between Sunshine and maybe Event Horizon. Yep. It had a lot going from it in terms of what could be tossed haphazardly into a 30-second Super Bowl ad. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, reception, let's say, while Netflix successfully convinced whole swaths of the nation to tune in after the Super Bowl yes. and watch this movie, reception has been, let's say, generously mixed. Mm -hmm. Critically, it has not been good. No. Uh, on Twitter, you can still find people who like it, though. But Netflix, I think, has retweeted every single one, every of, them. Single one of them. Uh, but it was... For whatever it's worth, certainly an attention-grabbing It was an event. It was an event. So is it any good? No, God, no. <laughs> it's terrible. It is so bad. I mean, it is bad. We could, yeah. I think you could debate which of the first two Cloverfield movies is better, and certain people would have different favorites. To me, there's no question that this is the worst by a very wide margin. And, I mean, you mentioned that how it was sort of originally, supposedly not conceived as a Cloverfield movie, and then it was sort of rejiggered. At what point, I don't know, but... Um, Boy, do you feel it, though. Oh, you so feel it. It's so brutally... I mean, it feels like the 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 dumb 
Cloverfield eyes diversion of a potentially much smarter, much more interesting movie. I mean, again, this is like just like I said with the last movie. It's like it's a good premise, you know. Um, you know, space station scientists. Just the idea of like being on a spaceship where you think you might have accidentally wiped out the entire <laughs> civilization. You've destroyed the Earth, which right. is for a brief moment. That's what this movie is about. These people think they have blinked the Earth out of existence, <laughs> which is such a great idea for a for a high concept. You know, uh, a sci-fi movie, and then the movie does n- almost nothing with that, and all does all this other crap, and is just silly. And ironically, some of the best stuff about it is the dumbest stuff in it, like the arm, the arm, which, which is like uh, such a ridiculous, so thing. ridiculous, but it's so silly that it's like the it's one of the few parts of the movie that's sort of alive with fun and uh, makes you kind of pay attention and sort of lean forward in your chair. The rest of it is very by the book, going through the motions, checking off cliches of uh, space station and peril movies. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Sunshine and Event Horizon. I mean, it feels like they took those two movies and smushed them together, yes. which is ironic and maybe a des- <laughs> maybe by design because the movie is about. I mean, this is, I guess, a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but it's to some degree about, like, parallel dimensions, although all of the stuff about that is stupid in it and doesn't make sense. It is about, like, parallel dimensions being smushed together. So I guess if you take that as sort of a winking nod that they're taking parallel movies on set on different space stations and smushing them all together into the ultimate space station in peril, sort of cute, except the movie is bad and doesn't work and is boring. Yeah, and it has flashes of things that are interesting, but it really, it feels so cobbled together and and then like in ways that seemed very obviously added after the fact the stuff with the husband the stuff with the husband yeah. roger davies plays uh gugum Bathara's husband yeah he's down on earth yeah and every once in a while we depart the space station yes and then cut to him like in some like running around with some child he saved where bad things are happening on earth and it just it reminded me of like the stuff in the original godzilla when for the american cut they cut like raymond, oh, raymond burr, burr. <laughs> You know, yeah, I didn't it does think you're because right. like it just like cuts, and you're like, why are we leaving the space station? Right, this is a movie about a space station. Yes, there's almost no connection to what's happening down there, and right. why he gets the storyline. There's, I mean, there's a there's a connection in the sense that he's the he's the husband he's of one of the husband, characters, and there's a backstory involving children, which even like this like, very half hearted rescue situation does not even like really exploit or touch on no everything about this is everything about what you're describing is bad because for one thing again the best part about this movie is being stuck on the space station where they think they have destroyed the earth right and so immediately cutting to earth (laughs) where things aren't going great but it's still there you've immediately destroyed any sense of suspense about what happened to the earth where is the earth well wherever the spaceship is the earth is still there and it's fine i mean there's explosions or whatever but it they haven't com- blinked it out of existence, so you ruin that. Then, the, yeah, this whole stupid thing with the kid who – again, I, we're, look, we're just spoiling everything here. Yeah, we're going to spoil it. Uh, sorry. The kid has no that has no bearing on anything Not in this at all. movie. Now, perhaps my guess is they have planned out these future Cloverfield movies, and somehow that kid is connected. Oh, so- I don't think so. You don't I think, think so? I think she was totally just thrown prop. in there. Yes, as a prop and maybe – like a, a half-hearted, yeah, gesture towards their the children they lost. That Maybe. was it. Well, I, yeah. if that's the case, it's even stupider. And then here's <laughs> the third problem. Okay. Is that they have this other issue in the movie involving, you mentioned the kids, her, her dead kids. Yes. And part of this movie is that she is like, they find out themselves in this parallel dimension where her children are alive. Yes. And Not allowed to go into space unless you're a bereaved mom. Correct. Apparently. It's a rule. Yeah. It's a rule. NASA. It's in the rule book in yeah. NASA. And she's like, I'm going to stay behind when we send you back to so, the your earth. Yes. I'm going to stay behind so I can be with my kids. Right. One, there, there is another you down there. Yes. Are, what are you going to do about that? Yes. I think someone does at least mention that. Yes. But two... The fact that we've cut back to the husband all this time reminds us constantly, he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. She's ditching her she husband. She would have ditched him. Yep. And then also three, she then gives her I think this other is four, her. Actually, four, but... sorry. She gives other her a warning message uh, about the thing that the accident, the thing she did yes. that, that led to the death of her children. And she tells this woman who like years have passed, years and years has passed. Yes. She's like, stop doing that right now. Yes. And I'm going to save my children in this alternate dimension this way. And you're like, the thing that, the bad thing that happened just didn't happen. 
It's not like going to happen. Right. The timeline are, makes no sense for any of this. I, the, like the timeline stuff, if, I don't know. It, I think the thing is like, if you try and pick at this at all, it, you would have to be the most generous viewer at all to right. read any coherence into this. I, it's so poorly thought out that it leaves a lot of space in which yeah. you can be generous and like try and give, put connective tissue that's not there. Right. But this movie it basically is like, it uses, uh, other dimensions, monsters can come in as like an excuse to throw in every possible thing that ha- like could ever happen. Right. It's basically like anything can and will happen. Yeah. Uh, just gonna have to roll with that. And I think it, the, the, the most frustrating thing about it is like you said, like they took this story, they injected this Cloverfield stuff into it. The movie then becomes the explanation of the Cloverfield universe. Where do the monsters come from? But the movie itself makes no sense, and they don't bother to explain the movie that you're watching. They're trying to explain where the monster came from in a movie that came out 10 years ago, but they don't explain why the why a guy's arm is eaten by a spaceship. Right. Which is like, can we? Can I understand what it's I'm all, watching? Alternate before- dimensions, apparently. All of the t- worms, the worms. The worms. The worms, the woman in the wall. The woman in the wall. All of these are some cool looking imagery. The arm does not look cool. The arm looks like thing except with an arm. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> and, and apparently the arm has a brain. Right. Because the arm is like alive. And yeah, and gives some answers. Things. It's like thing from the Adams family. You're exactly I, right. Yeah. But I, I, I think that even if they're just like, we just want the most half-hearted explanation possible for like crazy things are happening the fact that it ends with this implication that is some way a prequel to even though it's an impossible prequel it would not actually work that way i know but like it it's is set up in a way that as if it is right that was advertised in a way as if it was yeah like uh that 30 second spot which i you know, when you're like, sometimes like, did someone in Netflix watch this movie? I'm not sure if they did. <laughs> the but like the, thir- the 30 second spot cuts, half of it is footage from Cloverfield. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And it says 10 years ago, blah, 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 blah. Now find out how, you know, why it happened and all right. of that. And it has like, it, it matches this cut of the explosion happening in Cloverfield with the husband in Cloverfield Paradox, like looking out the window at an explosion happening. Right. With this implication that they are the same. Which even they're definitely not. They are definitely not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just clever, clever, inaccurate, arguably false advertising <laughs> on the part of, of Netflix. Uh, I mean, I think that the movie w- waves its hand away at that by – there's like a line. I mean, there's a lot of hand-waving away with literal lines of dialogue. There's a guy on a TV who literally tells you what the movie is about to be about, which is another frustrating thing about it. It's like yeah. there's no mystery to what happens because he tells you exactly what could happen. <laughs> While the, the Chiron on the screen says the Cloverfield paradox. And I, meanwhile, I'm going, what is the paradox? Is there a paradox in this movie? Uh, no, there no, is. There actually is no paradox. No paradox. I don't know. Maybe that's what they think an ex- like alternate dimensions are. I don't think that's what a paradox is. No, but no. I, I, yeah. That is That itself is the actual paradox. But anyway, yeah. he tells you what's going to happen. Sure. And then it does happen. Monsters come. Right. Humans. But he, they also say something like, no, well, they says, can send them through time. Right. Of course. But also he and throws in monsters and demons. Right. Which... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but a lot of scientists, to, a lot of yeah. scientists believe in monsters yeah. and demons. Well, okay, so the movie is is bad, and it's a studio discard that Netflix bought for a yep. lot of money. Yeah, and I feel like certainly the most interesting thing about the movie, beyond the fact that it is already a kind of cynical studio play, right? Mm-hmm. It is a studio being like, what if we just slap uh, this name <laughs> on to like any kind of script it's that comes our way that is science cynical. fiction, right? Uh, and then like let's kind of like stick some explanations in here from other yeah that uh that you know netflix bought a studio discard and they have been buying a few recently they just bought another one from universal i think yes extinction it's called from the director of hounds of love yeah that uh universal had like shed from its schedule recently yeah they were supposed to come out right around now they pushed it back and then they just sold it to netflix right and uh annihilation which i think for other reasons right the upcoming annihilation uh, Paramount had deemed it too difficult, basically, right. to maybe already. Hopefully, uh, that's and, the reason, right? But it had sold off a lot of the world worldwide rights yeah. to Netflix as well. So Netflix is now on this phase of coming around and kind of scooping up movies that studios don't think are good, dumpster diving at movie yeah. studios, essentially. Uh, and I, I'm curious about like whether, again, 
I don't know how, there's no possible way to judge success for Netflix because we don't know what it means for them. They don't tell us numbers, but also I don't know what business success means for them. Uh, but like, what do you think of this new move for them as like the dumping ground for expensive, maybe bad studio product? I mean, it's hugely discouraging, I think is the only way to look at it from a consumer's perspective, because I think for them, I mean, granted, they paid an astronomical amount of money for this movie, but it has to be putting that aside. And they seem to have no concerns about finances, as you said, like putting that aside. It's a huge success for them because they got to pull this huge stunt. It got a lot of attention. Anyone who is in our business who can tell you, we don't know how it did on Netflix, but people were interested in this movie. They were reading and uh, watching videos. My website did a video. I mean, we knew that this movie was coming soon. And so we had a video that we were working on about all the connections between them. We put it up. We were able to finish it. Like the next day after it came out, put it up. It's like the most successful video we've done in months and months and months. People are into it. So the, there's not like Netflix is going to look at this and go, boy, we really – this was a swing and a miss. We're going to go back to Okja. I feel like this is the beginning of uh, of a of a, a trend. Yeah. Um, and, and what bothers me about it is just – you know, like I'm not suggesting the people who made this movie were not trying to make a good movie. I'm sure they did. They struggled and failed. Yeah. But they tried. Um, but to me, and I'm sure all the people making all the movies Netflix is going to buy or give money to are trying to make good movies. But from Netflix, from Netflix's perspective, from the executives' perspectives, it, it seems like it almost does not matter if they succeed. Oh, or I don't fail. think it does. I wrote a piece about this actually, about like that. Aside from, I think that Netflix has like discovered something. That is like a kind of really uncomfortable truth about how we watch movies on their service or how a lot of people do, which is that like the bar is so low. Right. It is basically like it is, I would say, like the equivalent bar of being on a plane, you know, where you're like, oh, maybe I do want to watch King Arthur. (laughs) You know, like maybe I do like this. um, That that in fact, in some ways, and I, I think that it works the other way, too, where it's hard to sit down when you're like just coming home on like a Wednesday and be like, you know what? I want to pop in the Hungarian Oscar nomination. You know that like, it's hard. It's frictionless, but it also in ways it kind of like encourages you to take the easiest uh, viewing experience. Right. Which is like, we're not always up for challenging viewing experiences, but I do think that they've, they've starting to realize that, high profile movies like this that can just be there. The fact right. that they're there is what they need. They can advertise, right? The fact that they're good or bad is meaningless. Yeah. And then and they can uh, maybe invest an occasion on the movies they hope will win them Oscars, which is like the only reason that they might want to do that. Right. I mean, it, 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 they made bright, but it's so similar to bright it in the sense so that it's similar. Yeah. You know, great cast, big name talent, a also, brand. Lots and- of ways in from the algorithm. Yes. Like, you know, Cloverfield, do you like this genre? Do you like fiction. Cloverfield? Yeah. Do you like yeah. uh, diverse this, cast? Right. This great like, actors. Ensemble cast from like uh, multiple countries and yes. like yeah, like a uh, it, it yeah it offers it all hits of these a lot ways. of those buttons. Yes. Um, but it doesn't matter if it's good. Right. The movie itself is almost incidental. Right. Because it's the kind of movie, and I think I said this. I don't know if I said this in our review or if I wrote it in my review of Bright on on Screen Crush. It's like. It's this, the kind of – they make the kind of movies now where you go – like when you, if you went – if you had paid $15 to see this in a movie theater you'd, and someone said, how was it? You'd be like, ugh, not very good. Just wait for Netflix. Like they're like, well, yeah. wait a second. We're Netflix. We can just go – We can do this without the wait. Yeah. So it's like instead of – yeah, it's like the movies that you wait to see on Netflix because they're not good enough to pay for without the wait. And that's their, that's their business. And I could see it being hugely successful. I think, for I think them. it's actually like it makes total sense. It's just a, it's, it's very, brilliant and incredibly depressing. It's at the disheartening. Same time. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the Cloverfield paradox. <laughs> you can find that it in and on, of itself is the true Netflix. Cloverfield paradox. We haven't done it in a couple of weeks, mostly because the movies haven't been that uh, interesting to talk about. But uh, we've got some new movies we can talk about very briefly here before we get to behind the eight ball. First up. Um, Currently in theaters, as you are listening to this, if you are listening to it the first week it comes out, Fifty Shades Freed, Mm. the third and final, dare I say, climactic installment of the Fifty Shades of Grey. Look, they put it on the poster. I'm allowed allowed to make it. There's really no like uh, cheesy pun you could make or cheesy phrasing that would uh, go beyond their marketing. Definitely not. So it's lean into it. Yeah, it's the third film in this franchise. Uh, I have somehow seen all three films <laughs> in the Fifty Shades of, of Grey trilogy. Yes. 
Allison, have you seen all three? I have seen all three. Okay, yeah, so yeah. where does this one rank? That's really hard to say because okay. I will I will note that for whatever it's worth, the first Fifty Shades, which was directed by I want to say Sam Taylor Johnson, right? Was Sounds it? about right. Uh, that she tried to make an actual movie out of it, right? She tried to give these like ridiculous characters. Uh, she tried to kind of like give them some sense of uh, that they were actual people. Yes. Uh, uh, and she like trimmed away a lot of the aspects of the book that were apparently making people angry. Uh, it's it's very much a movie about consent, uh, but it's also like very much this movie about incredible wealth and soft core sex yep, and, yep. Uh, you know, sometimes accessorized in the red room. Uh, but then, and then, uh, they were like, nah, we don't like the studio was like, we don't need you to do that. Right. And then the next two movies have, uh, are just ridiculous. Like, uh, they have no plot for long stretches. Mm. The third one, especially you're, there's almost nothing resembling t- like dramatic tension for <laughs> like such a long stretch. It's incredible. And then it kicks into action where they're like, uh Oh, how are we going to end this movie? Better have someone kidnapped. <laughs> you're not exaggerating. Um, it was other, I, uh, I've been writing about this movie actually. Um, but uh, there's a part at the end of this movie where they show a montage and you're like, it's a montage of the montages that they've had before Correct. because so much of this, these movies are like montages of them enjoying luxury living, Yes, which it looks very pleasant. Honestly, it's much more wealth porn than actual it, porn. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I, I feel like I, I'll kind of, I'll be sad that I'm sad that these movies are going because they're so singularly weird and they so don't feel any obligation to follow any of the normal expectations of a movie like story or conflict. Um, I would not certainly call them good in any way, but I have enjoyed watching all three, mm. especially in a theater. They are super fun to watch with an audience that is either shrieking with glee because they're so into it or like laughing. Uh, yeah. That was me, the last, the second one. There was a lot of laughter in that. If you, I think we were at the same press screening and uh, Probably. people were very giggly. And then I heard the woman sitting behind me being like, kept, she kept being like, why are they laughing? This is a very serious tale but of I think love. She was just like, what's funny about this? So... <laughs> I think there is also a gap between the audience who wants to laugh at it and the audience that finds it like very sincerely romantic. Um, I, wow. I, I no judgment to either. You get you know what you want from this movie. Oh, a little judgment. No, no. Um, I think you described what these movies are fairly accurately. I thought the second one was incredibly goofy, like charmingly, bizarrely weird. This one I just found much more kind of blandly, as it's you said. More, there's nothing... more wealth porn in this one. Yeah, it's certainly. just yeah, it's like a lot of commercials. There's like a very well-made Audi commercial in it where they mm-hmm. they drive somewhere for no reason, yes. than to show the car. Yes. then they get there. And they're like, well, better go. And they yes. drive back they because drive back. they got to show the car. And then even, that leads into a car chase. Right. More There's a car shots. Even where they open a drawer full of sex toys and they all clearly are the same brand. They're like some full mm. line of like sex toys. Designer from sex some, toys. I didn't catch like, that, but I believe I just, you. Because I like they all had the same little thing on it. And I was like, oh, that's more product placement. Like very creative. Yeah. Really. I admire their product placement department a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the first scene of this movie is them getting married. And you're like, well, I guess that's it. Time to go, guys. That's same. The second movie, though, like after the first movie ends very dramatically with her just being like, I can't. This is not a functional relationship. Right. I need to leave. He like wins her back immediately, immediately. at the start of the second movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, and I I do find that really interesting. Before we were spending way too much time on this, I do find that really interesting. Just in that, like, there is something of this urge that like goes counter to everything we're told about storytelling mm. that you need conflict. This movie is almost reluctant to subject its characters to anything that will like disturb them but what about jack hyde what about boyce fox boyce fox (laughs) the names in these movies are so amazing boyce fox uh anastasia Steele. i mean christian gray christian gray the most amazing names you got to give them props in the naming department if nothing else yeah Yeah. um well uh there that's the last of it if you are interested in how how is it uh just wait till it shows up on netflix (laughs) all right so next week is uh black panther this is the latest marvel movie and it is the first with a a lead of color and really an, it's a, it's an almost all black cast yeah. uh in terms of especially the the main roles is really just one one white guy who's kind of in there kind of to be the butt of the jokes yes, uh, to be the white guy to really be the white yeah. guy yeah, yeah. And, and actually he's pretty great in it too um this is from Ryan Coogler who made Creed mhm and it's with Chadwick Boseman he plays Black Panther we've seen him in Civil War he's already been introduced but there's this whole 
constellation of stars in this movie with him, including Michael B. Jordan and Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, what did you think? Obviously, I'm more. You know, it's a Marvel movie, so we generally we're going to think I'm more in the bag for this sort of thing. I'm the I'm the Marvel nerd. Yeah, but I've liked most. You've of liked Marvel most movies. of them. Yeah, but I do feel like sometimes they just evaporate very quickly from yeah. mind. Uh, I think this is definitely the maybe the most ambitious Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think I went into it having heard very breathless things, and I feel like it is still a Marvel movie in some ways. Like it still has like um, sometimes some very like I, I would say the most disappointing thing about it are certain action sequences that totally. look like just like not just every Marvel movie, but like almost every big budget movie now, where you're like these are two computer generated images fighting each other. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and they don't look like they were even done by the director. They look like they were kind of, you know, worked at by someone else and then just plunked in the middle of the movie. Uh, but everything else I thought was like, I, the world building is like very wonderful. Uh, and you know, it has, I think that Ryan Coogler has a really, uh, I Creed proved, and we did a whole episode on Creed, which so I think our love for Creed has like very been uh, well established. Yes. But that he has a really interesting and kind of uh, provocative approach to dealing with existing IP. You know, like Creed was all about engaging with the idea and the legacy of Rocky, but also like the racial legacy of Rocky, and like kind of pushing at the idea of this character as this great white hope. Um, and I feel like Creed, or I feel like uh, Great Black Panther, figures out a way through a character um who is not the main character maybe the villain mm. uh that like uh that engages with the idea of afrofuturism as this kind of dream uh a kind of black american dream of this like uh you know like powerful fantasy africa mm-hmm. and also the idea of a the powerful fantasy Afri- africa with the ability to maybe tip global power in favor of blackness mm-hmm. you know like this is undercurrent in the movie that's all about that and and i thought that was fascinating you know uh definitely has more ideas and more you know thematic ideas than than your typical marvel movie yes i, I i'm in uh, total agreement with you i think that the action i mean I found some of the Marvel movies have have good action sequences occasionally. Like we could pick usually, out right, this the, and that and this. You know, like there's a oh this moment was cool. Like oh the, the end of the Avengers, right? The, yeah, the, the, the elevator, elevator scene. And, they're yeah. they're very they're very like of all the things that you could accuse Marvel of all the movies like looking the same. Like the action is one of the things I think looks the most the same. It seems like they just hire the same people on every single movie and they just you know they just change costumes and the guy who plays Captain yeah. America then plays <laughs> Black Panther and it's it's. Even more striking in this case because, one, Ryan Coogler in Creed did an incredible job yeah. choreographing and shooting those those fight scenes where they were dynamic and visceral and real and they felt unique. And there's nothing of – almost nothing of that in here. And then the other thing is, as you said, like the world building, the rest of the movie is so visually striking. The costumes, the makeup, the the just the sets. Amazing. It's just a fun movie to look at. Just take everything else out of it. It's just a great movie to just ogle. And so when the fight scenes, when the action is generally so kind of meh, mm-hmm. it seems even Including, more... Including, like, the climactic fight scene, which is one of those ones where you're like, I'm just waiting for it to, for them to talk. <laughs> you know, like, right. where it... Take, take off their yes, masks yes. and have actual conversations. Yeah. And the only other thing I would say was just... Um, Michael B. Jordan is incredible he in this movie. He is incredible. Like he – there are a lot of scene stealers in this movie. But like the movie yes. really belongs to him, I yes. do feel like. Yes. Like he's – I mean it's it's like I, I compared him in my review to like watching Jack Nicholson in the original Batman where he's so good. You're like, is this movie about Batman or is it about the Joker? Yeah. Because he so thoroughly just overpowers the movie with his presence, his charisma – his, his physical sound. presence right. he's like yeah he's he he's just looks amazing gigantic. yeah he's and he's got the like fake these scars all over yeah. his body yeah but he's also like so sad he's like incredibly sad it's a really like but he has yeah. this and he has this edge it is it is a complete a performance it's a complete person unlike so many marvel movies uh where the villain is just like i want to rule the world and i want this little green stone like he has goals. Mm-hmm. He has ideas. He has arguments. Yeah. He has like things to talk about and reason and reasons to want to fight. 
Um, I mean, the movie is almost Shakespearean in terms sure. of the, the the battle between him and Black Panther. And I think Chadwick Boseman is good. It took me a while to kind of come around on him because he's so sort of sedate. I mean, it's part of it is the way the character is written yeah. to be this very and most of it is he's yeah. a good. I mean, his father at a certain point even kind of almost gives him the out on that. He's like, "You're a good guy, right?" It makes it hard to be a good. King. It's hard to be a good king. Well, it's hard to be a good, good main yeah, character exactly. in a Marvel movie when everyone else gets to be kind of fiery and exciting. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that he. I came around to him, but I think Michael B. Jordan is absolutely incredible in this movie. And I think that the movie is most interested in him. And I, yes. you know, we, we don't want to go too far in this because I know people haven't seen it yet. But I will say uh, my favorite Marvel movie so far has been Guardians of the Galaxy still. And that's mm-hmm. in part because I think it, it it carries with it this implication that Peter Quill was able to go from this like really sad thing happening in his life and kind of escape into like escape into this popular culture surrounding him to escape into a space opera right? right and just leave behind this tragedy forever and in some ways black panther feels like it does the same thing via its villain which is to have him to have the idea almost like this fantasy of this like afrofuturist uh figment almost to be there for him to kind of find his way and almost into. to try to like will it into existence. yeah yeah that's it interesting does. in some ways it feels like his movie more or at least the one that that ryan coogler he is the one that ryan coogler is most interested in i don't think it's uh i I, i'd be i'd be it'd be hard to argue that he's the not the most interesting character in the movie yes or that he undergoes some of the more most interesting changes through throughout it uh okay well there you go that's uh black panther definitely worth seeing as far as i'm concerned uh uh i mean i don't know if it's my favorite probably not my favorite marvel movie ever but definitely the best one in a while and and certainly up there amongst the most interesting right. ones. Right. And also like proof in this giant corporate machine that uh, there's still room for like individual kind of artistry. Hey, that and, is true. And personality. Other than the, the fight scenes, it feels like a Ryan Coogler movie. It definitely feels of a piece with Creed for sure. All right. Let's get to uh, Behind the Eight Ball here where we wrap up the show by giving you some new releases on streaming. We give you some listener recommendations that you, the listeners, have sent to us at our email address, svu at film spotting svu.com and we also give you one film that we've each chosen blindly by number from each other's my lists on netflix uh allison you want to go first you want me to go first i'll go first all right well let's start with three new releases on streaming well first up new to amazon is the foul king which is a movie i've been wanting to see forever uh, the second film from Kim Ji-Woon, who is the very talented director of uh, Bittersweet Life and Tale of Two Sisters and uh, The Quiet Family. This was his second movie. Um, and it stars Song Kang-ho, who is everyone's favorite, you know, uh, as a kind of downtrodden bank clerk who finds a new life uh, and kind of like new confidence taking up professional wrestling and becoming a, a a heel named the Foul King. Uh, so that is on Amazon. Oh, my God. I can't believe I haven't heard about this movie. I'm literally adding it as we're going. Keep going. I'm just going to uh, Also new to Amazon movie. is Good Time. Uh, this is the Safdie Brothers' most recent film. Got a lot of attention uh, last year. Got a lot of indie awards. Starring a nearly unrecognizable Robert Pattinson as a guy who is basically spends the whole movie on the run um and is just like a hyper stylish movie maybe we'll have a little bit more about that afterwards but that is new on amazon right now and finally new to netflix is princess sid um this is the latest one from stephen cohn uh starring rebecca spence as a chicago woman and jesse pinnock as her niece who goes up to stay with her for a summer and it's about the relationship between the two of them in particular, uh, how one of them is very much about the life of the mind and the other is like very much about kind of like grounded in her own physicality. Uh, so that is new to Netflix and it's rather lovely. All right. How about two listener recommendations? I've got two from Rose and Palantine, Illinois, uh, this time around. Uh, she's got both of them. First up, she says, uh, to be or not to be might be the funniest Ernst Lubitsch film. And with its anti-Nazi theme, it is also very timely for today's audiences. A small theater company in Poland is putting on a show about Hitler as World War II ramps up. But when Nazi troops come to town, they must use their costumes and acting abilities in life or death scenarios. Aaron Sorkin and Howard Hawks, uh, would struggle to write dialogue this rapid fire and this hilarious. 
in a screenplay that manages to satirize both Nazis and actors while celebrating the power of artists in the face of evil. If that's not enough, there's a love triangle and a spy plot as well. Jack Benny and Carol Lombard star, and this is Lombard's last film appearance as she died in a plane crash a month before the film's release. It's available on Filmstruck and well worth the 99-minute runtime. Thank you. Uh, and another one from her. For films of the disaster artists, Living in Oblivion would make a great double feature. This 1995 comedy also centers on the troubled production of a low-budget film, albeit a fictional one in this case. Steve Buscemi plays the doctor, or the director, Catherine Keener plays the lead actress, Dermot Mulroney plays the cinematographer, and Peter Dinklage makes his film debut by appearing in a dream sequence. It's a comedy of what can go, what can go wrong will go wrong, but also shows the persistence and devotion to craft that are required to seriously pursue Sewer career in showbiz. This one is streaming on Fandor and available for rent on other online outlets. Uh, thank you, Rose. Those are two great recommendations. All right. And how about one film or TV show chosen blindly by number from your my list? Uh, you can be number one. So that's the most recent thing I added to my my list. Mm. That would be The Ritual. Uh, it's a 2017 Brit horror film. It's directed by David Bruckner, who did The Signal uh, with two other people, I think. And did uh, one of the segments of VHS. Um, and it's just about four friends who go hiking in the Scandinavian wilderness and find bad things there in the mysterious forests of Norse, Norse legend, according to the Wikipedia description. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd heard some good things. Uh, I like I like the signal well enough. And I'm curious to see what David Bruckner did. So that is the ritual. It's number one on my my list. Hmm. Matt, are you ready? Yes. All right. Well, give me three new releases. First up on Amazon Prime on February 16th is Logan Lucky, Steven Soderbergh's underseen and quite charming Southern heist film starring Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as brothers who decide to rob a racetrack with the help of a criminal and explosives expert played by a very, I guess, cast against type Daniel Craig. This movie was delightful, and it was a total flop. <laughs> we could discuss why, but uh, I, I'm very confident people are going to find this movie on streaming and on television, on cable, and in time, it will become one of those Steven Soderbergh movies that everybody loves. It is Logan Lucky. It will be available on Amazon Prime on February 16th. Next up on Canopy is Force Majeure, the terrific 2014 drama by Ruben Ostlin, whose new film, The Square, is also uh, up for the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. It's vying for it against On Body and Soul. Uh, I w you know, I have to say I wasn't a huge fan of The Square. I mean, I liked it more than On Body and Soul, but I wasn't a huge fan of that movie either. But I love Force Majeure, which is about what happens to a marriage after uh, a family is almost killed in an avalanche or think they're about to be killed in an avalanche, but then they survive, at which point they all realize that the husband is a coward who ran for his life instead of trying to save his children. So good. On every level, Allison, this is my darkest nightmare. <laughs> One, just being terrified for my family and two, feeling like deep down in my heart, I would do the same thing. So, <laughs> uh, and it's a great movie from there too. Just incredibly deliciously awkward and, and wonderful. So that's force majeure, which is now available on, canopy and finally on Tubi is the skeleton twins which is a, a nice little indie dramedy also from 2014 starring bill Hader, Kristen wig as siblings in the aftermath of one of the characters attempted suicide it's a a modest little film it's probably a little on the sundancey side but it has two very good lead performances if you are a fan of bill Hader. Uh, and or Kristen Wiig, and I'm a fan of both of them. It's worth a look. So that's The Skeleton Twins, available now on Tubi. Okay, give me two listener recommendations. All right, our first here comes from Bill in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Bill writes, Matt's, uh, Matt, congratulations on your new arrival. Thank you. Here is a pick I got from Netflix's DVD service, although it is also streaming on Amazon. It's a clever French mystery called Nobody Else But You. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the French title. That would just go badly from here. Here is what Netflix has to say. A local beauty's death is ru ruled a suicide by sleeping pills, but crime novelist Rousseau doesn't buy it. Reality turns out to be stranger than fiction and a source of inspiration as he uncovers the truth about the woman's past, 
I'm looking forward to more great shows this year. Thanks very much. So that is Nobody Else But You, streaming on Amazon, from Bill in Portland. Thank you, Bill. And next we have a recommendation from Jeremy, who writes, Columbus is on Hulu right now. I don't know if you've mentioned it yet. It's there, and it is great. Have we mentioned Columbus on the show? I think just maybe in an eight ball segment before. It is great. It is very great. It is a lovely, beautiful, beautiful film with some excellent performances. I had no idea Columbus was such a haven of fascinating architecture. I know. I, but this movie makes it makes it pretty clear that it is. Yeah. But now I don't have to go visit it because I watched the movie. Were you planning to go visit it? Absolutely. I had the flight booked. It was in the cart. And I was like, maybe just watch this movie. Okay. And then I just I hit cancel. So sorry, Columbus. But uh, watch the movie, Columbus. It is on Hulu. Okay. Give me one from your Netflix My List. You gave me number 12. And right now on my uh, My List... Number 12 is Sandy Wexler. When a hapless but dedicated talent manager signs his first client who actually has talent, his career finally starts to take off, starring Adam Sandler, Uh Kevin James, Terry Crews, Mm -hmm. Jennifer Hudson, Mm -hmm. and Rob Schneider. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume Jennifer Hudson plays the, the first client with talent. Although maybe it's Schneider because that man is a just a, a, a beacon of talent. Uh, I didn't. I have watched most of the Sandler Netflix movies, and so when this one came out, I added it. And actually, a few people have told me that they like this one. Yeah, people whose opinions I respect. What number is this for him? Well, he made an eight movie deal. Well, I mean, I guess I assume Meyerowitz stories counts. It I is. I don't right? think it does count. I mean, it's not produced by him. Okay, well, yeah. there's at least that's at least three. At least three. Does the Kevin James movie that I, he made? I think that does count. Okay, well, that would be yeah, four, four. The true conf- yeah. confessions of an international whatever it is. Okay, so know, it's it's he, in the neighborhood of four. three, four, or yeah. five. The initial deal was for four movies, and then he signed. He re-upped another, it. He's like, yeah. "This is going so great is for great. everyone." Yes. I mean, I mean, apparently it is. Netflix says they're watched by many, many I people. Mean, if anyone represents the idea of, is this movie good, good enough? No, yeah. but you could watch it on Netflix. <laughs> it is Adam Sandler. So there you go. That's uh, Sandy Wexler on on uh, Netflix. Uh, we have some interesting choices for our next listener's choice. Two of them we've already mentioned in our, in our uh, eight ball segment here. I have the first one. I am the one who mentioned it. It is Logan Lucky. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. Available on Amazon Prime on February 16th. I have seen this movie, as I think I made clear by enjoying it. I'm assuming you've seen it, Alison? I have seen it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's fun. It is fun. We could compare it to the other heist films of Steven Soderbergh, of which there are many. But they also like this movie in particular... uh, even within its own, within the movie, like name checks a certain Soderbergh franchise that uh, the contrast between it and like the Oceans movies is really, it feels deliberate Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, uh, it offers you a lot to talk about. Yes. It plays with our knowledge of heist movies in general, but also Soderbergh heist movies. Right. Like this extremely glamorous globe trotting world. And then having a movie that is about not globetrotting, but driving, you know, the five hour drive from right. like North Carolina to West Virginia. Right, right. And, and having a lot of opinions of the best way to do that yes. as well. Yes. So that is option number one, Logan Lucky. It will be available on Amazon Prime on February 16th. All right. We've actually talked about all three of oh, these we did? already. Yes. My bad. Including uh, the second option, which is Princess Sid, uh, which I oh, mentioned right. before. It is streaming on Netflix. Uh, you know, Stephen Cohn, a uh, Chicago filmmaker who he makes a lot of movies that I think kind of play with uh, what looks on the surface like a, a structure you might know. Uh, his, his last movie, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, took place entirely at uh, – it was like a sprawling ensemble film during a party being thrown by – for um, like a, a preacher's son basically at this house uh, in the suburbs and just had all of these really great tensions uh, regarding the sexuality of certain characters, regarding uh, faith and I think is really nuanced. And this movie as well uh, deals with sexuality and faith but also with uh, the idea of what 
fulfills you and brings you happiness in life and how it's not always the same for people. Uh, and it's got two really great performances. Uh, I think it's one of those movies that, you know, got a lot of, um, India claim, but it's a really small release. So this might be a great time to talk about it. Uh, Princess Sid, your second option streaming on Netflix. All right. Option number three is Good Time, directed by the Safdie brothers, available on Amazon Prime. Allison mentioned this one. Robert Pattinson stars in a fast-paced heist thriller about a bank robber who will stop at nothing to free his brother from prison, launching him into a night-long odyssey through New York's dark and dangerous criminal underworld. Um, this is maybe number one on the list of movies from last year that I didn't see that oh, I'm, that wow. I'm, I'm upset about. Yeah, this was I did, never got around to catching Good Time. But perhaps this, Allison, is a good time to see it. Ugh. Well, it's not as bad as the cow thing from earlier. Well, so I'll let it, I'll, let I'll it keep trying. Well, I'll keep trying. Yeah. I'll, let me think of some <laughs> other terrible pun I could make then. Damn. Um, yeah, I missed it. Uh, I've heard uh, it's Robert Pattinson's best performance to date. I've heard that there is I've heard some hot takes about it. Some people were not a fan of this movie that mm. uh, had some very negative things to say about it. So perhaps, uh, who knows, maybe I'll hate it even more than the movie we reviewed uh, this time. You never know. Um, but you have seen it. What else could we talk about in terms of a theme? Well, with I think this like movie? Uh, movies about being on the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could even look at like, uh, you know, Robert Pattinson, his co-star in the Twilight movies, Kristen Stewart, has gone on to become like this if critic's darling uh, for her ambitious choices. But Pattinson's actually made some interesting ones as well. Absolutely. Franchise. And maybe there's something to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and also even like maybe this is a movie that takes place entirely in kind of like parts of New York City that don't get put in movies very often. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's something to be done with that. All right. Well, lots of options there then. So that's the third a choice for you. Good time available. All, it's available right now on Amazon Prime. All right. Which of these movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Units? You tell us. Uh, you can vote by sending your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can just vote in the poll that is at the bottom of the page over at filmspottingsvu.com. Uh, we'll also post that on Twitter and Facebook, so look for it there. Uh, you have until Monday, February 19th at noon to vote. And then after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter uh, and also on Facebook. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out on Tuesday, February 27th. Filmspottingsbu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Filmspotting SBU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. And you can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer, and follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. That is where we announce the winner of our listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the listeners, and from ourselves as well. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. Sorry. Can do it again. <laughs> We've only done this 160 <laughs> times. It's, uh, it's a perfectly I was, I was normal mistake to make. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to leave this and I'm going to put it at the end as an outtake. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I can't believe you messed up the opening. I'm leaving this all in. Here we go.